0: Georgia is electing a new governor this year. But will the election be legit? The Monica Perez Show starts now. This is Monica Perez, your libertarian voice on News 95.5 and AM 750 WSB. Every Saturday from 3 to 6 today, with the occasional exception, today I'm on from 3 to 5, but we are going to... Uh, jam-packed this show with a lot of really interesting, important stuff, very relevant to the Georgia voter, especially this year as we face a, uh, a gubernatorial election. It is Cinco de Mayo. Happy Cinco de Mayo. It is also Kentucky Derby Day. It's a big day. My uh, producer Binkley is here in studio with me, always providing interesting research, clips, tweets. And uh, you. it's your favorite holiday today, too, right, Binkley?
1: Well, it's Progressive's favorite holiday. <laughs> it is Marx's birthday, or the progressive Christmas, I guess you would call it.
0: Cute, cute. Uh, I know I'm not in the habit of celebrating Marx's birthday, but uh, hey, man, it seems relevant for today's topic, actually, which is, uh, so I, I this year is an election year in Georgia. It's a significant year. Um, Nathan Deal is the governor. He is term limited out of office. And we have primaries, both Democrat and Republican, coming up May 22nd um and the election uh is november 6th so it looks to me there was a debate last week on the democrat side there are two Stacies running for the democratic nomination stacy abrams and stacy evans and uh as georgia is such a red state you would think this was not the more important race but and we're going to cover over the next couple of months we're going to cover um all the candidates and uh, all the details of the election but uh, today I want to talk about that debate and these candidates because there is such a, um, a movement to f- flip. It started with, and, I, and Binkley and I talked about this when Ossoff was running last year, and the hashtag was flip the sixth. But I said it's going to be flip the south. It's going to be flip the flyovers, if you'll see that rural places are now being targeted. They want to flip red states' blue. Uh, speaking of marks, I actually choke on the red state thing because that makes it sound like the Republicans are the are, you know, it diminishes the whole left-right paradigm by assigning reds to the Republicans. But I'll, I'll go with it. They want to flip the red states blue, and and Stacey Abrams. So I, I personally do not feel like. Uh, Stacey Evans has any chance at all, Twin Binkley? You've been following this pretty closely. You agree with that?
1: Yeah, totally.
0: Yeah. So Stacey Abrams is the heir apparent, at least for the nomination for the Democrats, from what I can tell, and uh, and she she's really making it her uh, her cause, and I, and I think it's because she's part of a, of a bigger movement. And I'm not talking about like a grassroots movement. I'm talking about like a George Soros movement, where she is uh, – they're really trying to flip uh, – uh, to transform, to tr- fundamentally transform the South from red to blue. I mean, you know I'm always down the rabbit hole. I actually wonder if Trump's election, whether on purpose or not, from his point of view, certainly was something – and actually George Soros has referred to this, if I recall correctly, that – and and so is Stacey Abrams, actually – that the reaction to Trump is like the best thing that ever happened to progressives in the South. That it's gotten people mobilized, galvanized—I guess the word is—to uh, to go out and vote. And and I actually, uh, I'm I I have become so jaded about even the voting. And at the 4:30, um, at 4:30 today, I'm going to have a, a very important guest, Garland Favrito, who just. Discovered some amazing uncovered, audited, some amazing irregularities in how the 2016 election um, certainly, how it was, how the vulnerabilities it had. They, they destroyed the records, so there's no way to figure out if there are irregularities, um, but there were vulnerabilities. And that kind of thing makes me uh, really suspicious that we get the uh, winners that we actually elected, but they still have to make it seem like there's there 's an explanation for for how a district could flip so when Jeff Sessions won his seat in Alabama as a senator, he got ninety seven percent of the popular vote. Now, how can you elect a Democrat into that spot and make it plausible so they they had to make stuff up like roy Moore... well i 'm not saying they, they, they have to have a good reason. So Roy Moore's terrible reputation for a lot of bad stuff was one reason. Getting, um, I guess, black women had previously been a really low voting demographic. If you say all of a sudden 100 percent of them voted, you know, that, that kind of thing can swing a district. And, I, and that's Stacey Abrams' story here, that because she's going to get the vote out of people who have never voted before, you think Georgia's deep red. And I always figure a place like that people stay on the couch because, not because they're too lazy uh, to vote or because they don't care, but because they know that there's absolutely no way uh Democrat's going to win or whatever. I just remember in Texas, voter, voter turnout was kind of low always because you knew what the outcome was going to be. And if it becomes more in play, you actually go out and vote. So, uh, but I'm not even convinced the it, it matters what the actual numbers are. It matters the message. And she is really driving home this message of flipping georgia uh but but she also talks about flipping the south and flipping the country and if you dig into where she comes from it is clear that her ambitions are much uh broader that she is um really has her eye on a bigger prize she's people talk about her uh there was a cosmopolitan article that binkley sent me just this morning that said um, she was going to run for president in 2028. I mean, she's already got that on her little uh, to-do list. And, but but when I looked at her previous, you know, the list of where she's been, not where she's going, and I've mentioned this before on the air, but like more stuff has come to my attention. She has these absolutely, I mean, a, a, a really. If you're not a big fan of globalism or like a world government, this this her resume is scary she 's a member of this Council on Foreign Relations, which already puts her you know at the top of the list of um you know world governance aspirants, but she has these fellowships that uh, the next generation fellow of the American Assembly at Columbia University on global policy and the future of international institutions all right so that 's a big mouthful, but every noteworthy alum listed on their website is a is a, a, an assistant secretary uh, at the Department of Defense, so that's you know that's what what her training is. She's an American Marshall Memorial Fellow, which I think is out of Germany, the American Council of Young Political Leaders Fellow, which is out of the Department of State Council on Italy Fellow. I couldn't even find that British American Project Fellow. That's about transatlantic relations, Salzburg Global Seminar fellow on US East Asian relations a U-Coast fellow for US Russian relations i mean it goes on and on so this uh candidate i is absolutely in my opinion uh kind of being groomed from very high uh you know way behind the curtain for very big things and what she wants is is not i think her agenda while well, she couches it in terms of Ending poverty or uh, or empowering black women. She really has a, an agenda that's totally consistent with this global agenda that uh, I think is going to emerge if she becomes the governor. But I wanted to play a couple of clips, I think, from her own words that kind of help you understand where she's uh, where she's coming from with this. Binkley, let's um, let's start with clip 16. Governor in the white, and I was going to go to the White House. I'm not going there yet. <laughs>
2: one, one step at a time. <laughs>
0: so she reveals there that her aspirations, she's already looking ahead. And and she does talk in other places about how being governor is just being the CEO. And, and that kind of stuff scares me. You know, I just feel like uh, it's. On the one hand, she just wants to use it as a stepping stone. And on the other hand, she's going to use it to who knows, you know, who knows how she really wants to reshape Georgia. And she definitely does. Um, As a matter of fact, let's listen to clip 17. Binkley, thanks.
2: I'm asking for Georgians votes now because every Georgian is a partner in our effort to change the state. And now you're a part of that transformational effort because when we change Georgia, we can change the South. And when we change the South, we can change the nation.
0: But how does she want to change it? I, I We do have time for one more clip, Binkley. Can you just quickly tell me where this clip 8 came from and then play it?
1: I believe clip 8 came from after her debate the other night. And this is, she was surrounded by a bunch of celebrities when she talked about
0: okay, this. Okay, let's hear it. Clip 8. One of the reasons
2: I'm talking to folks from around the country is that Georgia is a national state. You can't get anywhere without going through Atlanta. You can't move any goods without going through Savannah. And we've spent a lot of money bringing Hollywood to Georgia. But more than that, Georgia is emblematic of what America should be and will be. And that is why I'm excited to have voices from across this country. While every one of them is certainly known in Hollywood, they each come with their own activist spirit and with work that they've done to lift up the community. And that's why I'm so thrilled to have them with me. Because what they reflect are the values of Georgia, standing up for people, speaking out, and doing what needs to be done to make change. And I'm excited to have a campaign that is locally grounded but nationally known because we have to change all of Georgia to move forward.
0: I I just – no way that you slice it am I going to believe that a majority of voters in Georgia think that Hollywood values (laughs) are Georgia values, right? I mean, that's the plot. It's not the reality. And I actually, of course, always down the rabbit hole, feel like – one of the reasons they brought Hollywood to Georgia with tax incentives and stuff like that was in order to to flip it. So I'm going to explore more of these underlying themes after the break. You can uh, tweet at me, at Monica Perez Show, 800-WSB-TALK, uh, 404-872-0750. This is Monica Perez.
3: Monica Perez. Yeah,
4: well, you know, that's just like... Uh... Your opinion, man.
3: On News 95.5 at a.m. 750 WSB.
0: We are talking about uh, one one element of the Georgia governor's race there. I'm going to be covering this throughout the year. It's an election year. It's very important for Georgia. And it's really um, in Georgia's really in the crosshairs for this blue wave. Um, Flip the South. My producer, Binkley, and I, uh, who's here in the studio, um, have talked about this for a long time, that that this was really – they were targeting the South. And so I'm starting with – because there was a debate last week between the Democratic candidates, Stacey Evans and Stacey Abrams. We're going to get into some of the fine points of that debate uh, at the bottom of the hour, but uh, I just wanted to give you a little backstory on Stacey Abrams, kind of where she's coming from. And one of the things that really, really worries me is her attitude about the state's role in raising children. So, um, Binkley, I I want clip 18 and then clip 12. Can you tell me where these are from or at least uh, one of them, if you know?
1: Clip 18 is from one of her campaign ads.
0: All right, let's hear it.
2: As Georgia's next governor, we will educate bold and ambitious children from cradle to career.
0: Yeah. I mean, I'm not sure I want my child in a cradle. It's creepy. And what careers are they planning for? I want to squeeze in one more clip. Let's do. This is from what? Netroots Nation.
1: Netroots Nation. That is an activist training that she headlined.
0: All right. Let's hear it. Clip 12. What kind of
2: education do we want for our children? We have to start with high quality daycare because the child's brain starts to form from the moment he or she arrives on this earth. And we can't wait till they're three to decide they're worth our time and our attention. And more importantly, parents can't be spending time trying to make a living and worrying about whether their child is going to be able to start life on the right foot. That's the state's responsibility, both in education and economic development. And we can afford to do better. But we also have to expand pre-K.
0: Starting at four years old is not early enough. Starting at 4 is not early enough for the state to raise your children. More on Stacey Abrams' agenda after the break. This is Monica Perez.
3: Monica Perez. It's
4: a man out! A house. On News 95.5
3: at a.m. 750 WSB.
0: I am your libertarian voice on News 95.5 and a.m. 750 WSB. Saturdays from 3 to 6 normally. I'm cutting out a little early tonight. I'm going to zip down to New Orleans and catch the tail end of Jazz Fest, my favorite thing. I don't even like the music. It's just the atmosphere down there. I love it. I mean, I like the music, but that's not the main reason I go. Super fun, but it's a fun day all around. It's Cinco de Mayo. It's Kentucky Derby Day. Kind of something for everyone. Uh, But um, we have a lot to talk about, and... uh, uh, in, at 4.30, I'm going to have Garland favorito from VoterGA.org on. He just did a real expose, an unbelievable, um, I think. It, it's just amazing uh, kind of what happened uh, with the Kennesaw, Kennesaw State destruction of election records and the vulnerabilities that were in the system at that time and um. It looks like it 's being covered up. I mean this guy it 's really shocking what Garland has to say, so I want him to explain it himself, but this is the kind of thing that makes me wonder how how important elections are as far as are they really who we want but or who we're voting for. But I would take it back even a step and say at a certain point the uh, the voting itself is so manipulated. That, uh, you know, it just it gets to the point where people are are pandering to your needs, to your desires. I I read a funny line in an article uh, this morning. My producer Binkley's here. He sent me a lot of stuff. So I hope I can reach it all uh, quickly. Here's one. It says uh, this is about Stacey Abrams, who's running for the Democratic nomination for Georgia governor. It says, Abram spent most of her childhood in Gulfport, Mississippi, one of six children. Every Saturday, her parents took their kids to volunteer. Once she asked her parents, why do we have to go do this ourselves? Aren't there people who should be doing this? And mom and dad were like, well, that's called government. I'm like, well, government's making me not be able to watch Super Friends because we have to go on Saturday when the cartoons are on. The point to her being, if government worked better she'd be able to watch TV. So that to me is the message that that a lot of times that I think, I think there are a lot of good-hearted progressives, whatever, but I do feel like there is an underlying cynicism in the message of the government taking care of everything that, uh, that appeals to our baser instincts, and that represents that to me. Or... Um, like i believe in this case that uh abrams represents herself as kind of being this grassroots person being you know growing up uh working poor i think she calls it in mississippi it's very hard to find information about her parents and where they came from her parents are very well educated they moved from i think madison wisconsin um when stacy was uh very small it's just hard to get the backstory. It's hard to really understand where she's coming from, but it's not really that hard to understand where she's going. She went to Yale Law School. She has a lot of fellowships. Her sister was a judge appointed by Obama. Another sister works at the CDC. I mean, this is a very accomplished family. I don't, I, you know, as someone who did grow up pretty poor, my father's a truck driver. I, I think there are real advantages to having. Parents who kind of know how the system works, and I would like to know more about that, to understand kind of the authenticity of this stuff. But I do find it a little bit cynical uh, that, you know, you kind of promise all things to all people, and then uh, you're really serving other goals. And I, and I think that that might be what's going on here right now. Actually, um, Binkley, first uh, – how are you doing, Binkley? I can't hear you.
1: I'm fantastic. How are you?
0: <laughs> I'm fine. Do you um, – let's have a tweet.
1: All right. We have one from Brian who tweets, my boss walks into the kitchen at 430 and asks, you listening to Monica? Then she gave me a fist bump, a high five for the tweet that she heard and, and read, and a warning not to text at work. Ha ha. Ah,
0: tweet. That's sweet. super sweet. That one, I saw that one. That was from last week, but it's still awesome. Um, let's, uh, let's do, can we do clip five?
1: Yes, we can.
0: Having
2: grown up in a working poor family where I saw my parents work every day, my parents were the first in their families. My mom, the first to graduate from high school. My dad, the first to go to college.
0: So I think, I mean, the way that sounds... And her mom is like super duper accomplished, many many degrees. I'm sure the dad does too. But you can't. I just haven't been able to find too much backstory on, on that, um, and how authentic it is. But maybe it is. Uh, I can't really say. But I do. I do think that she's promoted by uh, people kind of of above and beyond. The Georgia get grassroots as she presents herself, but and, and I and I think Stacey Evans brought it out in the debate the other day. Can we hear clip three? I am spending my days focused on bringing hope and opportunity to Georgia families and meeting as many voters as I can. And what Miss Abrams' campaign manager files against my campaign is not my focus right now. My staff has reviewed that and assured me that it is frivolous. Um, and for what I have heard of it, I know that it is as well. Um, the only third-party money I know that's come into the, this race so far is from San Francisco to support my opponent. Those are the only third-party groups that I've seen activated in this in this campaign. I am focused on Georgia. I am proud that over 90% of the campaign funds that are helping us in this campaign come from within the state of Georgia, as opposed to my opponent, who can only say that somewhere around 35% of funds come from within the state of Georgia. So, Binkley, you, you did a little digging on, into Abrams' funding, right, and kind of what, what this is all about? I did. What did you come up with?
1: Well, she presents herself as being grassroots. I get her emails and very adamant about how grassroots she is. Well, she's not really that grassroots because her top funders are Soros and his sons. And another one of her main funders is Tom Steyer, a huge liberal donor.
0: I know a little bit about him. Do you know anything about him? He's he's very kind of by the book, White Shoots. Isn't he like a Goldman guy or Morgan Stanley guy? I think he was a hedge fund manager. He has all sorts of those kind of what I consider to be deep state credentials. He went to Exeter. I think he went to Yale. Um, You know, I mean, these people, I I should talk because I do have Ivy League credentials (laughs) also, you know, but I know what these people, what they're bringing and where they're going. You know, I was the only one who really, uh, I mean, I was like a deer in the headlights going through this stuff. But these people who have billions of dollars, like uh, Steyer, I think he comes from a family like that too. Did he work at Sullivan and Cromwell or his father? That's a real deep state organization. So I, I wonder about his motives. What do you know about him?
1: Well, he is one of the biggest liberal donors every campaign round. And him and Soros together started a group called Democracy Alliance, which is a group of major liberal donors that get together and donate things into things around the country to push their agenda. They've been donating Abrams projects since 2015 with the New Georgia Project, I believe it was called. And Steyer, he's a controversial figure who is currently on a impeach Trump tour where he is pushing. Oh, yes, that's yeah. how
0: I knew him. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: And they're pushing reparations by the year 2020.
0: Yeah, I was looking him up for that reason a while ago. Wait, so hit the impeach Trump thing is pushing reparations?
1: Yes, that's. And
0: what. what are reparations? That the United States government should compensate descendants of uh, slaves because of the kind of damages of that. Like what I was saying, like so much easier to get ahead when the your parents are connected or whatever. And on the flip side, it's it it is a, a multi generational. Legacy of poverty to descend from slaves is the it would be the damages, right? Am I understanding that correctly? You are all right. So, my problem with that kind of thing is you have to, like, my for example, my parents came over, my grandparents and ancestors came over like at the turn of the 20th century, like 1900. And we're at, I went back to Ireland where one of my relatives, my grandmother, was from, and I did not even knock on the door. They were so poor. I was like, I don't even want them to offer me a cup of tea, you know? I just kept walking. There wasn't even a street sign. This was recently. I went back. So I, I'm certain that my ancestors are not guilty, and since I'm an individualist and a libertarian, you know, that, that that's how I think of, like, you have to prove. And that's how our law works. Prove that. But I think this— the collectivist viewpoint, which has its history in Plato and and other legitimate sources, is that there is a, um, a social responsibility. You're responsible for your government that the damages have been ongoing. I mean, I'm sympathetic to the to the issue, but I don't I don't think reparations is the you know makes sense the way our law works. Or as, as me as an individualist, I would not – I don't go for that. But anyway, my two cents. That's yeah. a
1: subject that has apparently turned a lot of voters off, and I think for that reason Stacey Abrams hasn't openly associated herself with Stayer.
0: Oh, that is an unpopular thing because I, I really don't know much about it. Uh, okay, yes. Yeah, so – but he's into it. He, what, why – yeah, you know, sometimes I think these guys, sometimes I think a guy like that, you know, who obviously has a really big political agenda, uses these issues as emotional levers, obviously, you know, so he maybe makes it sound like I'm just doing this out of the goodness of my heart. But I'm sure he's got purposes behind it, maybe to polarize people. I think the conflict among people is what's driving this, uh, you know, driving the next political wave. Anyway, keep going.
1: So Stayer came to Atlanta for that Impeach Trump tour, and he was asked after it if he's going to get involved in the Georgia election. And he responded by saying that he's going to wait and see. He usually doesn't get involved in Democrat versus Democrat primaries, which I thought was kind of odd because he has already donated to Stacey Abrams. Did
0: anyone mention that besides you?
1: (laughs) I don't think so. Him and his wife have both donated to her, and I think it's probably to cover for her. Because he is a very controversial liberal donor.
0: Wow. That's pretty crazy. I mean, that's deceptive, right? It's certainly deceptive. Any other way to read that? (laughs) Yeah.
1: You want to hear another thing that uh, the Abrams campaign is doing that is a little bit deceptive? we have a minute. They send out a campaign email that says, I am proud to say that this is truly a grassroots effort. Eighty-three percent of donations to our people-powered campaign were under $100. Now, that's straight out of how to lie with statistics right there. (laughs) Because? Because it makes people believe that 83% of the total money raised came from a bunch of under $100 donations. But that's not the case. It's 83% of the donations, the individual donations, the number of them were under $100. And a lot of those donations are like the... Campaign finance head of her campaign donating one dollar twelve times in the span of a week, and the majority of the actual total money comes from large donors like George Soros, like Tom Steyer, like um, Catherine Bradley, who is the. Wait! Don't
0: tell me! Don't tell me! All right. Let's hold it for after the break. Let's take a quick break, and and you can. I like lo- I love numbers. I want more numbers, thankfully. <laughs> right after the break, this is Monica Perez.
3: Monica Perez. Maybe it's something really cool that I don't even know about, you know. On News 95.5 at a.m. 750 WSB.
0: We are talking about the Georgia governor primaries. I would say the heir apparent to the Democratic nomination is Stacey Abrams. I'm starting with her. We'll get into the Republicans in a later show. We're going to be covering this all year. It's a big year. Uh, And Binkley, my producer, has been digging into some of her funding in response to – this is Stacey Abrams' funding in response to something Stacey Evans said at the debate about most of Abrams' funding coming from outside. We covered some of that earlier. Um, You just wanted to – I wanted you to finish something up on that, Binkley, and then we can talk about it more after the next break. Who – what was that last thing you said about uh, her donor? Was it a donor?
1: A donor named Catherine Bradley, who is the wife of – David Bradley, a board member on the Council on Foreign Relations, Catherine Bradley is known as the shadow chancellor in Washington, D.C. because she has so much power that people fear that she is controlling D.C. education reform from the shadows.
0: That's very interesting because the most alarming thing I found in um, in Stacey Abrams' policy ideas is her or her ideas about education and the relationship between state and children. Now, of course, I'm a libertarian. I'm going to disagree with her. But I think a lot of kind of center people are going to find this a little beyond anything they would want here in Georgia. But let's talk about that after the break. Uh, 800-WSB-TALKER. You could tweet at me, at Monica Perez Show.
3: This is your last chance. After this, there is no turning back. You take the blue pill. The story ends, you wake up in your bed and believe whatever you want to do. You take the red pill, you stay in Wonderland, and I show you how deep the rabbit hole goes.
0: This is Monica Perez, your libertarian voice on News 95.5 and AM 750 WSB every Saturday from 3 to 6. Although today I'm on from 3 to 5 because I'm going to duck out early and catch some Jazz Fest in New Orleans. I absolutely love that. But there is plenty of fun to be had here in town or even at home, because it's not only Cinco de Mayo, it is also Kentucky Derby Day. So uh, lots of fun today, lots of interesting stuff going on. Uh, we are packing a lot into this show. I I, I want to talk um, basically, you know, until the November 6th governor's election, About what uh, what's next, you know, who's next for the governor's mansion here in Georgia. And part of that is I'm going to hopefully uh, on a regular basis talk to Garland Favorito, who is a uh, an election integrity activist here in Georgia. We're really lucky to have him here. And we're going to talk to him at the bottom of the hour. He's going to talk to us about some of the vulnerabilities and um, questions that remain, if not smoking guns, that have appeared uh, about the last election, the presidential election here in Georgia and other elections. He's going to tell us about that, but also in the future, he's going to tell us kind of what to watch out for um, and things that we can do to help move Georgia from a very low ranking on election integrity uh, up the ladder. So hopefully we can do some good. Uh, Also I want to, I'm going to be over the months talking about the different candidates and right now we just had a debate a Democratic debate uh, between the two Democratic candidates, Stacey Abrams and Stacey Evans. The primary is um, coming up, I believe the primary is May I don't want to say the wrong thing, May 22nd. And uh, but Stacey Abrams is the front runner by far, and they both describe themselves as progressives. Obviously, that's not what I go for as a libertarian. I believe in uh, individual liberty and personal responsibility on all issues at all times, and these guys kind of believe the opposite of that. But I really don't even – I actually have some tolerance for a sincere – collectivist let's just say i mean i think of these things i've mentioned it before in terms of kind of plato versus aristotle do you think that the fundamental unit of society is the individual like i think and i think aristotle we look at him as as thinking that or as the collective as the group as society itself which is kind of the platonic idea that you can pick people to be leaders and and groom them and they should be philosopher kings and all this kind of stuff I I go for the Aristotelian um, interpretation not only because I value my freedom, but also because at that level, you are the one who's responsible for your actions. You can control it. You don't have to use coercion to control other people, and that's how it has to be if if what you want to do is manipulate society for the greater good. But it seems to me that Stacey Abrams, who is probably going to be the Democratic nominee – is kind of, you know, Philosopher King who's been, or whatever, is being groomed to be uh, this kind of platonic Philosopher King based on just an uh, a, a list as long as I've ever seen of globalist fellowships that she got probably before, during, and after she went to Yale Law School. She uh, had her funding. All of these fellowships are global in nature. They're about um, international initiatives and... Uh, My sense is that, uh, and she talks about this, Atlanta and Georgia are kind of epicenter of world, you know, of world activity. And I even felt this with Reed, that what we're talking about coming out of Atlanta is this, um, you know, if there's going to be a seat of world government, it might just be Atlanta. And I wouldn't be surprised if she thinks she's going to be that first world leader. Like, that's how grandiose this whole thing strikes me as. And... Uh, And that's that's very different. I mean, this idea of kind of moving towards the world corporation, uh, the world government is very different from just a progressive wanting to uh, slide money around in town because of people who just simply uh, don't have the background or uh, the abilities to kind of make ends meet you know that's the the kind of good uh, way of interpreting but i don't think that's what's going on here and i believe in particular we were talking about before the break my producer binkley is here and he's done a lot of kind of background work on abram's funding uh and the people who have funded her who continue to fund her have some major agendas that i think play into this kind of power at the top uh you know, kind of world dictatorship, if you will, that really have no relationship to our founding principles. And, and I want to talk about a couple of things. I want to talk about um, just real quick touch on education as one, our, the state's relationship with our children, and also safety and justice, which is a George Soros movement that I think folds into a something uh, we've talked about before on the show of Michael Chertoff, and I even talked to last week about it, uh, this idea of fundamentally restructuring the legal architecture of this country, and that that will go to our protections in the bill of rights and I, and I think these all these movements are really about uh, uh, you know when they talk about the fundamental transformation of this country, which Obama talked about, and Abrams absolutely talks about and she says it starts in Georgia. That's. I think that's what they're talking about. Even when they talk about criminal justice reform, I don't think they're talking about more justice and more rights. I think they're talking about uh, something that's very foreign to us and will minimize the importance of individual rights and, more importantly, actually, protections from government overreach. So uh, that was quite a long way of, of getting to the clip, Binkley, that we were going to play um, so what – so we were talking about some of the uh, education agendas, and, and which clip was it, Binkley? What, what Which one? We wanted to – maybe the old clip 12?
1: Yeah, old clip 12.
0: Yeah, and this is where she uh, – you know, just listen. I played it earlier in the show, but I think it's important to really listen to what she's saying about what she views to be the role of the state uh, versus the role of the parent in a child's life. Let's hear it.
2: What kind of education do we want for our children? We have to start with high quality daycare because a child's brain starts to form from the moment he or she arrives on this earth. And we can't wait till they're three to decide they're worth our time and our attention. And more importantly, parents can't be spending time trying to make a living and worrying about whether their child is gonna be able to start life on the right foot. That's the state's responsibility, both in education and economic development, and we can afford to do better. But we also have to expand pre-K. Starting at four years old is not early enough.
0: So her viewpoint is that it's the state's responsibility to uh, direct your kids, get them off on the right foot. The age of three, four is too late.
1: Yeah. You notice what she said about the brain forming. Like, that's right. Psychologically, that's when the brain forms. The, those are the most formidable, formidable wow. years. And she's talking about yeah. getting in there and getting the kids before that.
0: Yeah, I mean, that that's disturbing because what's most disturbing about it, there's, there's something about this. And it's funny because I'm pretty black and white as an individualist libertarian. But as a mother, I see that how nuanced raising a child is and how important it is to impart your values to the next generation and how powerful that is. And I've read in a very famous book about the real nature of the power elite called um, Tragedy and Hope by Bill Clinton's mentor, Carol Quigley. Well, in the beginning of the book, he talks about how technology and other developments, I think the draft and now I believe I would insert into there like sleepaway college. Uh, these are things that disconnect children from their parents' values and that's how you transform society that's what he says that's how you transform society is by disconnecting children from their parents' values and and how would you do that but to get them that young and and i i would almost wonder if the reason we have such the way our taxes work um the tremendous burden that never ends uh despite the fact that we basically redistribute 5 trillion dollars a year And poverty never seems to end. Both parents seem to work all the time. That gets the moms out of the house and or dads, whatever, both parents out of the house. And the kids are then at the mercy of this collectivist viewpoint. You know, I mean, this isn't news to anybody. But I did want to one thing that you pointed out to me, Binkley, was this George Soros. He's a big funder of hers. And he also – can you give me in a sentence what you think um, that other program he was working on? I have a paragraph here. I want to I want to read about it, but um, I don't know the description. It's, it's Safety and Justice Fund or something.
1: Are you talking about the 2022 thing?
0: I'm talking about – you sent me something about Soros funding uh, oh, yeah. legal – is it DAs or prosecutors? What is
1: it? He's been funding district attorney races around the country in order to put – you know, controllable candidates in that can reinterpret the law and transform the justice system from within.
0: Yeah. And I I, it is I do not believe for a second that he does this just like when he funds like legalizing pot movements, which, of course, I'm a libertarian. I don't think anyone should tell you what to do in that regard. Um, but I think that he wants to change the legal structure because he has a different kind of vision for what the world should look like. And he is absolutely not committed to the U.S. Bill of Rights. That's for sure. But one of the guys who ducked out of the race against one of his candidates, um, it was in Henry County, actually. Uh, McCord dropped out of the race. He said campaign because Soros was supporting Patillo. They said campaign financing is a real issue in this country that must be tackled. George Soros, a Washington, D.C. billionaire, has invested $100,000 in my opponent's campaign as he has many other localized campaigns across the country. This was in 2016. If the money was all we were up against, it may be different. But with the involvement of the Soros camp, history tells us they will win at all costs. Two months filled with personal attacks on my family and an infusion of negativity into this great county all from someone who has no affiliation with Henry County. That's not what this election should be about. So th- this Soros thing, uh, he plays dirty pool. He, he has his people in there for a reason other than uh, his interest in the health and welfare of the citizens of that locality. And it, it is something to worry about. Let's talk a little bit more about that after the break. Uh, this is Monica Perez.
3: Monica Perez. This will not stand, you know. This aggression will not stand, man. On News 95.5 at AM 750 WSB.
0: We are getting ready to talk to... I very rarely have guests on. I'm, I really limit my guests to local activists or maybe even candidates who... uh I, I would say are libertarian – not even necessarily libertarian-leaning, but who I respect as a libertarian, either just integrity or principles. A lot of times it's it's someone just trying to make sure uh, laws aren't slipped in that have unintended consequences. You know, I'm just looking for integrity, and anybody who's, who's working for that locally, I like to give them a little airtime because a lot of times they don't get airtime. So the next guy I have, I'm going to have on, Garland Favrito, is a voter – uh, an election integrity advocate, but I was talking to Binkley during the break, and my producer here, and he said, because um, we've been talking about the Georgia governor's race, we've been talking about Stacey Abrams, who looks like she's going to be the Democratic nominee, um, and she has a uh, kind of voter strategy, right, Binkley? That that you definitely made you raise your eyebrow. What what is it that you are worried about?
1: She's on a a bus tour to Albany, and you know, to the her target demographics. With four celebrities and they're they're basically bringing the ballot to people 's door almost saying "Vote now so you don 't have time to think about anything else
0: well, that explains why like she wants automatic voting and she wants um uh early voting i never understood what the problems with those things. i mean automatic registration i always wonder didn't know what the problem was but i guess the problem is and she talks about wanting to do this they go to your house and they want you to check the box in front of them and and if they're anything like al gore maybe they give you a pack of cigarettes along (laughs) the way so there's really there there are problems i mean what is the vote for if it's really that manipulated i don't know but let's hear how manipulated it really is With uh, Garland Favreto coming up after the break, this is Monica Perez.
3: Monica Perez. You maniac! You blew it up! On News 95.5 at AM 750, WSB.
0: I am your libertarian voice on WSB, Saturdays from 3 to 6. I'm only on till 5 tonight. It's my own fault. Don't blame WSB. I'm zipping out of town for Jazz Fest. That's going to be fun. Um, but we are getting a lot accomplished today, and I am very happy to have a guest on uh, who just I'm fascinated by some of the stuff he's uncovered lately. It's Garland Favorito, an election integrity activist here in Georgia. Uh, VoterGA.org is the best way to find his stuff. Uh, hi, Garland. How are you?
4: Hi, Monica. Thanks so much uh, for having me back on the show again. It's a real honor to be on.
0: I love it. I really uh, love it when people are trying to make um, make a difference at the local level. I love integrity. Election integrity is essential. Um, but I read uh, a piece you put out earlier this week that really blew me away. I I don't even want to attempt to summarize it. So why don't you tell me uh, what what that recent piece was about? Well,
4: great. It was an audit we did on what they call the KSU server wipe that happened last year. Uh, with a lot of new information that's never been published before. So I thought I'd walk you through it um, uh, uh, as fast as I can, but I thought maybe we'd start with a little bit of background information. Sure. So so in 2002, when uh, Kathy Cox purchased these, this voting system, which is unverifiable and hackable, um, she contacted— This is the voting
0: with... system for all of Georgia?
4: Yes, exactly, State, uh Statewide. Um, And she contracted with KSU, Kennesaw State University, to provide what we call a centralized elections preparation. So they established this Center for Election Systems at KSU, um, and that's been headed by Executive Director Merle King and Assistant uh, Director Michael Barnes for a long time now. But it's a little bit separate from KSU itself. Uh, It operates on the campus, but it reports to the Secretary of State's office. So uh, the center, um, for each election, it provides the counties with election databases, the files that prep the memory cards that they place into uh, every voting machine to accumulate the results. And so the, the, cards are physically,
0: the cards are physically at this place, and then they get distributed to the machines?
4: Well, uh, the, the, the data uh, is used to prep it. The cards are physically at the counties. But the data used to prep the cards comes from the and system. that
0: data is communicated to the cards.
4: I- exactly. Okay. Exactly. And, um, and uh, the also, uh, Kennesaw State, the Center for Election Systems supplies the voter registration data, and that goes into the poll books, and they create the little yellow voter access cards, that you put into the machine, and it says it tells the machine to accept one vote, which is what you cast. So those, um, this data flows into every voting machine in two different paths. Uh, if we had a picture, it would be a little bit better, but I know that's, uh, it's hard to do here. But the bottom line of all this is what we call it's a single point of attack. So if an attacker can compromise the central site, they can send malware through the counties down to every voting machine without ever touching a single voting machine because the counties don't have any procedures to verify the security that, of the information they receive from the center, and uh, any malware that they got would not be detectable in their logic and accuracy testing. So that's kind of the background of, uh, of what uh, has transpired. Um, and so you take that into what, uh, fast forward to August of 2016, the cybersecurity expert named Logan Lamb found that the, the center's election server was exposed to attack, and he phoned Merle King to tell him, and King said he would take care of it. Um, so and King what, is –
0: just remind us who King is.
4: Uh, Merle King is the Center uh, for Election Senate, uh, uh, Systems uh, executive director. So he's the top dog there, and, and Michael Barnes is the director. Um, So, um, what he had found out is that this this server they were operating has a security flaw, and an attacker can have free reign to execute, create, modify, and delete any files that are on that server that they're using to prep the counties. And he also found on that server a copy of the voter registration database that uh, has uh, social security numbers, names, and addresses for 6.7 million voters
0: So it's not, I don't want to slow you down, but it's not so, It's not just that the database um, That information Was uh, accessible, but Also, there was an access Point at which some of that Stuff that gets downloaded onto those Cards could be also manipulated
4: Exactly Exactly, and, and that Those, that, to, to give you an example Of that, the current Elections databases that are sent to the Counties were there um executables that could create the elections databases were there there were uh, PDFs of memos that had uh, election day supervisor passwords and they even had training videos on how to download files to put them on those memory cards we talked about in wow. the county voting machines so all of that is sitting uh, exposed to virtually anybody in anyone in the world to uh, get into so um that was August of 2016. In March, after they uh, Lam had called, uh, had contacted uh, Merle King and sent him an email, um, they found out that this uh, vulnerability still uh, had not been remediated, and it was the server was
0: still exposed. So this had been true from before, during, and after the November 2016 elections.
4: Uh, exactly and it was probably well well before uh uh, evidence seems to indicate that it was probably years before it's been open for years um although we haven't been able to nail that exactly down the exact date yet um so um basically when all this happened uh in march this is when the story broke and and the chief security officer got involved because they were not getting anybody at the center to shut down this problem that they were having, so the the uh, cybersecurity experts got involved uh, and got contacted the chief security officer uh, Stephen Gay, who is the director of uh, information technology there at Kennesaw State, and he uh, turned the server over to the FBI, and then uh, got and he started he began to do some good preventive uh, measures. But then um, Director Barnes uh, notified him that they don't have any backup of the elections data.
0: That, that they had the just F- sent over to the FBI on the servers?
4: Exactly. That no backup existed, which is uh, almost uh, un- unbelievable. So um, Mr. Gay got the server returned from the FBI and, and gave it back to them uh, temporarily. But even when they got it back to get the data they needed off of it, they still did not make a backup of that data. So that will come into play in just a second here. So moving on to the, um, how it, the, the data was deleted. So basically the um, director, Director Gay of the, of the KSU IT department, which is separate from the center, um, he produced an incident action item report and in that report it had standard preventive measures that uh, sh- should be taken and, and a lot of those were good uh good best practices that he had uh, recommended uh to uh um, to start you know having a, a basically a, a series of act- activities to nail down any future issues and kind of close any vulnerabilities so he sent the report, uh, sent it to directors, you know, King and Barnes, to review. But they never responded to the action items that were on that report and what they were going to execute. And that incident report action item contained an action to destroy the data and reinstall it, uh, destroy the data that's on the election server, and then reinstall it in a isolated network. Uh, so beginning. Uh, with in July, when the lawsuit was filed, then all that data was destroyed. Um, and uh, when Secretary Kemp found out about it in October of twenty six, uh, October because the lawsuit,
0: what was the lawsuit? It was against him for failing?
4: Yeah, the lawsuit was to basically throw the voting machines out of Georgia. Okay, in, in a nutshell, uh, yeah, and um, um, so
0: Wait, the, Kemp was mad.
4: Yeah, he was furious. He said it was reckless behavior, inexcusable conduct, gross incompetence, undeniable ineptitude. And he said we were opening an investigation. And that day was October the 26th. So on October the 30th, just four days later, though, his legal counsel, Ryan Germany, issued a report saying that, no, it was standard procedure. So it can't be both things. So that was when we got involved and decided we're going to have to audit this report and see what really should be done. So, what we we found out, which was a standard procedure in this kind of case, which when you when you have a vulnerability, you want to go back and identify any prior breaches that you had, may have had. So, um, what that means is. You would uh, probably want to identify any, you know, what was the duration of your vulnerability? How long were you exposed? How long was that server exposed and the data on it? Um, You want to determine if an unauthorized breach occurred, um, and you can use audit logs to do that. And you you want to to identify the source of the breach, and you can use uh, IP addresses for that. Um, to find out if, who the attackers were. You might want to define uh, unauthorized breaches that may have uh, occurred using timestamps. And there's a, all kinds of techniques But you they can couldn't use. do
0: any of that because they had destroyed all the data. Is that right?
4: Uh, ex- exactly. That is exactly right. And so that would so, be the normal procedure you would use to assess the impact of the breach and then remediate it. But as you said, you would have to have the data to do that. No one even considered even doing this, uh, which we, we would consider standard procedure based on my 40 years of information technology experience and security. Are 12 you
0: suspicious? Are you suspicious as to the motives of destroying the data?
4: Um, well, I, I'm, Yeah. yes, I, I am, and I'll kind of leave that to the list, listeners to decide um so but it gets worse uh it, it's not just that the data was destroyed but then there is the secretary of state's report that is serving as a cover-up for the destruction of the data and that's all equally disturbing
0: well i gotta tell you garland we only have one minute left so you have to tell people how they can get more and tell us the punchline and what they can do
4: all righty well um basically in this report it failed to um it failed to consider any things like why there was no backup of the data why there was no forensic assessment why KSU violated uh the the standards the i say center for election systems and it all goes back to the center for election systems directors so they uh were responsible to secure this data and maintain the backups, they did not do that. They're responsible to, you know, they're the data owners and responsible to get that forensic assessment done. Um, so the bottom line is that uh, the the same flawed process exists, and some of the same responsible irresponsible people are now being moved into the Secretary of State's office. So to get more about this, uh, Monica, it'll be on voterga.org and the press releases. We're also on Monday. We're going to be having a. Uh, uh, a presentation on this at the Buckhead Library at 1 o'clock. So we'd love to have uh, everybody out for that. And we'll be walking through this with uh, illustrations and give you more detail at that time.
0: That's awesome. Thank you so much, Garland. I can't believe you got all that out in that amount of time. I'm going to post on MonicaPerezShow.com your press release and your audit. Thanks so much for your time, Garland, wrapping it up after the break.
3: Monica Perez. Well, no one's going to top that. On News 95.5 and AM 750 WSB.
0: We are wrapping it up. We've got a little bit of a short show today. I'm filling in for my last hour. It's going to be Tim Andrews and Milani Kai. So that'll be fun. Uh, we just finished digging in a little bit to... Uh, The Georgia governor's campaign, I think uh, it's pretty clear. Stacey Abrams is going to be the Democratic candidate. Next time we'll talk about the Republican candidates. And uh, we just got a fantastic information-packed expose from Garland Favorito of VoterGA.org. You can go there and read his audit of what really happened at KSU with the election data and the possibility that our – Elections in Georgia were vulnerable to literal hacking, not like this baloney that you hear about. Oh, Russian hackers! <laughs> it's really there were vulnerabilities. We will never know what uh, what's really happened. So, check that all out. Uh, thank you for listening. You can, if you want to hear the podcast of this show or any other of our shows. My producer, Binkley, and I do some podcasts, and this WSB show. You can go to PropagandaReportDaily.com, and uh, for Garland stuff, you can go to MonicaPerezShow.com. And thanks for listening. Be back next Saturday from 3 to 6. This is Monica Perez.